One parent, two kids, 422 national park sites. This is Expedition National Parks. Dispatches and stories from one family's journey to discover the natural, historical, and cultural treasures of the United States. Our, our very best and our very worst brings these stories together. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the story of America and how we're continually trying to improve the country and make it better. A major goal of our own explorations and this podcast has been to highlight the diversity of the parks and the many treasures and parts of our American history that are often overlooked or less understood. David Cruz, one of the most, if not the most, avid and traveled National Parks visitor agrees. He has visited over 1,500 parks in his attempt to visit all 400 plus sites in 2016, the NPS Centennial Year, led him to write, The Centennial, A Journey Through America's National Park System. We first met David at Biscayne National Park in January 2020, where he was giving a presentation about his NPS travels and the book. After reaching out to him later in the year, we enjoyed a wide-ranging conversation about anything and everything about the National Park Service. In this episode, he described what motivates him to visit the parks, particularly what fueled his desire to visit all of them in 2016. He offers tips on how to get the most out of a park visit, the important role of the National Parks Travelers Club, and how there is no quote-unquote right way to visit a park. His love of history is infectious, and I am sharing excerpts where he delves into specific stories of interest and also why the parks are important to our nation. His book is the first to focus on all units within the National Park Service System, 422 at present, and his passion for the importance of valuing all sites is clear. He is in the process of writing a second book, this time on hidden gems of the NPS, and he offers a few recommendations during the interview. I hope you learned from him as much as we did. We start the conversation with what got him into the parks in the first place, as well as how valuable he has found the National Parks Travelers Club to be. My name is David Cruz, and I'm one of about 65 people or so that are known to have visited all 419 units uh, managed by the U.S. National Park Service. Uh, this is, includes the 62 national parks as designated by Congress, and then uh, over 350 units spread amongst 20 different design, over 20 different designations. There's at least one unit in all 50 states, and then several spread amongst the Caribbean and Pacific Island territories. Uh, I am also the author of the first published narrative that introduces all 419 units in our national park system, The Centennial, A Journey Through America's National Park System. My love of history was the thing that first, the hook, the thing that first pulled me into the parks. I, When I went back and added them up, I realized or got the number, I'd been to 50 of the units just by my own interests and inclination, an opportunity in 2012 when I had this epiphany, if you will, that, hey, I wonder if anybody's seen all 400 plus. I didn't even know that's how many parks there were. And uh, and so eventually in March of, well, early 2014, I found the National Park Travelers Club and that revolutionized my park visits. This club had all the people that, are known to visit all the parks within it. And once I got connected and started communicating in that club, it just took off for me. 
I started reading about people's comments, how they plan these trips, uh, how they thought about parks, um, how they made these visits more efficient and productive uh, and different things people would do. And, and I, I got educated. And uh, so in um, from 2014 through 2018, I visited more than 150 NPS units each year. And last yeah, and last year, I was working full time until March, end of March, 2017. So um, I had made it to 318 units by the end of 2015 when the centennial began. But it was still in the summer when everybody in the club was a buzz about the centennial. It was such a big deal, uh, all the celebrations and events. And then there's passport stampers. So each unit, as you remember, had a, had a centennial passport and everybody wanted to get those. There were over 400. As it turned out, I think there were like 450 some odd because some of the trails and heritage areas got, got a few. And then a few of the units with subunits had more than one. So um, um, I thought, you know, I'd like to get as many of those stamps and continue to see more parts. I'm gonna try to get to as many units as I can in 2016. And I shared this aspiration with another member, Leland, uh, Lee Warzala, who lives in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, and, and I had gotten to know him a little bit. And I knew in 2011 for the 25th passport anniversary, they had the same kind of thing. They had all these custom stamps for the parks. He had gone out in the parks and, and eventually got them all. He didn't go to all the places in a year, but he made it to uh, probably over th uh, 300 parks in one year. And so I asked him, I said, how did you do this? You know, and because I was thinking maybe I would get to 200, you know, and, and maybe 50, 60 of those would be new parks for me. So it would help further my goal because I was over 300 already in, in park scene lifetime. And, and he took my question. He answered as best he could, but he took my question as a challenge. He's competitive. And so he turned that around and he said, well, why don't we see who's got who's got who's got the most oomph behind this and see who can get to more units in 2016. So it, it, this just became a mano to mano challenge. Um, and uh, I, I told this whole story in the National Park Travis Club on the forum and I titled the thread Centennial Madness. And, and that I think was very fitting for how a lot of people were getting excited about it. Uh, maybe even a little more so than, than most people um, might and uh, my <laughs> my uh, wife eventually called this challenge or this thing we started. I'm crazier than you, and I'm going to prove it. <laughs> After providing stats for the year, he explains what was behind his motivation to write the book. By the end of the centennial year, I had traveled 146,000 miles. I flew 56 and drove 90. That took me through all 50 states and the Caribbean territories. So I didn't make it to Samoa and Guam until 2017. But um, I ended up visiting 387 park units in 2016 in 360 days. I wanted to do something to help people connect with the parks that might never visit these places. Like my mother, she wanted to know where I went in a story and, uh, and be introduced to these places, not get a 30 page treaties on Antioch National Monument, as wonderful it is. It, it deserves that treatment. It's uh, 
for me though, when my family asked me to write about the parks and my experiences, and I spent basically a year writing while I was still living the story, because in in the first in the book I include three chapters which tell about the parks I visited in 2017, the last 23 I had left to visit. So that's Guam, American Samoa. There were four new ones added in January of 2017. So I had those to get to right off the bat. Um, but Freedom Riders, Birmingham Civil Rights, um, some sites that are very relevant to the national discussions we're having today. And uh, that once I got a taste of that, spent that year writing off and on and then a year editing to try to make it presentable, I really got a flavor for, I, I really enjoyed that challenge. There is very little out there in the literature that is written from the perspective of all 400 plus. You add the 54 national heritage areas to that, the 30 national trails, which are part of the park system, then uh, you have over 500 entities that are in this system, are part of the system. They all have their stories to tell, they all have uh, some fascinating and beautiful places to share. And, and it seemed to me a shame that so much out there is just strictly focused on the now 62 national parks as designated by Congress. And those are wonderful places. I'm not knocking them. Uh, they're great. I think, and I think that's a great way to experience the parks uh, is to make that a challenge because it, it seems reachable to most people. Whereas visiting all 400 plus, that's tough to do. Um, it's, it, it's somebody not only has to have the willpower of which it takes a lot, but it, they actually they have to have the time. So most of these, uh, uh, I, I was one of the younger people at the age of 47 to, to, I actually finished the parks initially on my 47th birthday in 2017. And, um, uh, I, even at that age, I was one of the younger people to have done it. There was a deeper reason which drove him to undertake the centennial journey. What I was trying to do with my trip through the park system or my adventures, I was trying to find, I was trying to get back to the person I used to be when I was little. When I was seven years old, uh, people would, would uh, adults uh, were entertained I was so excited about learning things and then I would learn something and I would share it with the adults and, and this was history and different things. And I think for them to see somebody experience these things for the first time, it was so new. It brought a level of energy and enthusiasm to these topics that were uh, 50 years old for them. And, and so that's, that's kind of how it all, uh, that part started. Uh, but I wanted to get back to that little kid and get the passion back in my life. Corporate America and the meetings and all the daily grind uh, had kind of squeezed it out over the years. The trip in 2016 was the extension of many previous trips undertaken throughout the NPS system. I would never have even uh, done the 387 in a year if I had not seen 318 of them already. That, so 76 were first-time visits. They were longer, more methodical. There's no way. I I I'd already spent many days in a lot of the parks. And, and uh, there's no way I would, could have just done a half day in Yellowstone um, or in Grand Teton uh, like I did in 2016. I would have been crestfallen 
at all that I was missing. Because um, there's one thing about brief initial visits to get your lay of the land. There's another thing about just driving through. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the social communities and sometimes even rangers, um, people tend to see things from their perspective so strongly that they, some people can look at it, well, you either go backcountry uh, trekking and, and camping and spend three weeks in the park or you, you wasted your time and you just, you know, and there's a lot that's in between that. You know, there's there there are, you can you can get a really good dose of almost all the parks without going to that extent. And now it is time for our outdoor org feature. As we have in previous months, we're encouraging our listeners to look to the leaders who are making changes to fight for social justice within outdoor spaces. This month, we're featuring Black Kids Adventures Inc., a nonprofit based in Huntsville, Alabama. Founded by Zenovia Stevens of Black Adventure Crew, their mission is to make sure Black families and other underrepresented groups have equal access to outdoor education, based on the belief that outdoor diversity begins with early exposure, education, and empowerment. Join us in supporting them and learn more about their work. Check them out on social media. They are at Black Kids Adventures and at Black Adventure Crew. Please consider making a donation to help their ongoing work. He talked about how the parks reveal themselves in layers and how he has visited many parks multiple times. Uh, I looked at, in terms of my uh, perception of what I was doing, I always have looked at my initial trips to some degree as scouting trips, if you will. Because if you you get into some of these parks, all of them reveal themselves in layers. And oftentimes it's almost impossible to unlock all those layers unless you know the, the beginning, unless, unless you have some experience there or seen it and have some exposure. So I, I also did some trips that were designed to be, uh, you know, like one day at, at Bryce, for instance, to drive the tour road and see all the overlooks, do a couple of hikes. And then, you know, obviously you can't see all of Bryce in one day. But the idea was now I know the park, I'm familiar with it. So when I go back, I know this is what I want to do. I'm going to spend five days hiking and, you know, and then different people have different philosophies. So my approach was similar to yours. I wanted to see the ground, see the park, understand something of it. But I always had the intention to go to go back in almost all cases. And a few cases when I knew that would be very so over 300 of the parks now I've been to at least twice, two or more times. And um, some of the parks I've been to six, seven times. Uh, and I just keep peeling back layers as I go back, like the Badlands have been there six times and Mount Rushmore four or five times uh, and so on and so forth. Um, but you can't always do everything you want to do. First time I went to Jewel Cave, it was February and it was not tourist season. They don't do tours of the cave uh, unless they have two or more visitors that are there that want to go. And I was there in a fluke weather event. It was 70 degrees in February. I was up there for work. And I beelined it. I took three days off. I beelined it over to the Black Hills. And I was in T-shirts and shorts in the Black Hills in February. It It was magnificent. So when I went to Minuteman Missile, 
I got a personal private tour from the Rangers because I was their only visitor that day. Nobody had planned to be there. It's normally below zero at that time. Uh, so um, that's how that kind of, um, so when I was able to lock into bigger experiences, but you know, more remote places, I tried to see a good dose of them like Guam, spent two and a half days there or three days, uh, spent one of those days on Saipan, uh, flew up to Sa Saipan. And, uh, and that was a priceless experience. I, I think that is a not to be missed uh, spot. Uh, that's an affiliated site, technically. It's not part of the park in Guam. He also explained why there is no such thing as the quote-unquote right way to visit a park. Uh, what is a park visit to all these people? And I mentioned that in all the, I've, I've logged about 1,500 park visits over the last decade. To different units and and i'm i'm counting multi-day visits as one so if i was at a unit for a week that's just one visit so i've logged about 1500 in the last decade over the last decade now and uh i i have taken one or two entrance sign photos and all of those, I have 50,000 pictures from the parks, but I have one or two standing next to an entrance sign. I have never completed a junior ranger program, not even one. I have some badges in, in my park collection because rangers given them to me for my other activities. Like, hey, you, you've earned this badge. <laughs> you researched the, the, the park to write about it. So, you know, here, you know, have a badge, just something they could give me as, as a thank you or token of kindness. But, um, uh, that doesn't diminish any of those things. That's, to me, that's not uh, saying they're not worthwhile. I think they're great. Actually, you know, I think it's cool if people want to get a sign with the, a, you know, picture with the entrance sign, you know, and have their own collection. Uh, it's kind of a way you could put you you could put up a um, a collage, you know, of your park pictures and and what a fond way to memorize it and have a have some consistency throughout or not memorize, but recognize, you know, remember, commemorate it. Uh, but, you know, like I, I said earlier, for me, it was, it, it was a little different and, and I don't begrudge anybody's method. There are things I wouldn't probably ever do myself, but what I do struggle with is when people criticize other people, um, I can understand a little bit if somebody doesn't respect the parks, or especially if they're if they're damaged, if they're not practicing, leave no trace. So if they're not being good park stewards in any way, or are doing something that's that's reckless or harmful or, or dangerous, um, I think those things are fairly called out. I think that's appropriate to 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 criticize because that's how we we correct behavior in in some ways, as we say, hey, you know, this guy's an idiot. Don't do that. Don't challenge a bison to a fist fight. And, and um, um, it's, a, it's remarkable some of the stupidity that we see in pictures and videos online in the parks. It's, it's, it's disappointing um, at, at a minimum. He also gave tips to those who want to start or enhance their own journeys. What I found with the parks, uh, people have asked me a question, how would you start exploring the parks? I think that that question for everybody has an individual answer in terms of what specifically is important to them or interesting to them. Some people like the outdoor spaces, they're attracted to that. Uh, some people might live near a number of parks or park units, uh, have an opportunity to explore them 
within their schedule without uh, an enormous amount of sacrifice. Um, and then other people are history lovers, history buffs who are, want to learn the history. There is nothing quite like seeing where history was made. Uh, either history like a battlefield history and seeing how something happened or where the land it happened on, but also there are places in the park system. The park system is incredibly diverse across its 419 units. There are places that speak to almost every, well, every aspect of American history and also every aspect of American life. There's culture, there's arts. Uh, there's also one, one of my favorite uh, examples are places where genius was allowed to flourish. Uh, literary, industrial, scientific, uh, and these are also places well represented in our park system. So there's really something for everybody to get started. He discussed how valuable the whole system is, all 422. So our national parks, our national park system in total, it not only protects some of our most treasured and beautiful popular natural places like Yosemite and Yellowstone, natural wonders by anybody's definition, but it also tells the story of America, not just part of the story. It tells the story of struggle. It tells the story of loss. It tells the story of heroism. It tells stories of discrimination. It tells stories of tragedy. Uh, so it ties all these things together uh, with our, our very best and our very worst brings these stories together. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the story of America and how we're continually trying to improve the country and make it better. He gave us a preview about what to expect in his next book, Hidden Gems of America's National Park System. It'll feature 50, uh, uh, roughly 50, approximately 50 park units that are almost all in the lower half of the 383 sites that are tracked each year by the National Park Service, but that are largely unknown by the general public that are off the charts remarkable. These are all places I considered jaw-dropping. And, and I tried to separate them roughly from uh, the, uh, se separate them so that there's a plenty of human history and natural history. So you have sites like Chiricahua in Colorado, and then you have Minuteman Missile. Um, and, and I'm going to put a couple of the newly authorized sites that few people have seen because they're not official units yet. Uh, one of them that'll be highly, highly uh, or highly regarded, is highly regarded by me is the Medgar and Murley Evers Home National Monument. That's a newly authorized site in Jackson. Uh, they're working on getting it, the university uh, has it right now, but they're working on acquiring the property and getting the unit ready to go. In the meantime, you have to contact a docent, the people who look after the university, has a, a couple of docents who take care of the place and give per, per private tours. A wonderful lady. I was so, I was so, so touched by that site. I, I got in my trunk and I got out a book and I signed it and I gave it to her and I said, uh, Thank you so much for your time. It was a, it was a very moving hour um, of her just giving me some amazing history about Megar Evers. Things I had watched documentaries on it before, didn't know some of these things. He actually predicted his death. He predicted his death. He said that I understand because of what I am doing 
that it's very possible that I could drive home one night, open up my car door and be shot to death. Uh, I think he said that about a year before he was actually assassinated. But it's um, uh, the house, that house had been fired into four times. The, the, they had four bullets in different occasions go through that front picture window uh, that the fatal bullet went through. Went through the picture window in front of the house, went through another dividing wall between the living room and kitchen, hit the refrigerator door, dented it, ricocheted off a wall in the in the kitchen and landed next to a toaster right beneath the hole that it left in that wall. So it literally, you know, and it passed all the way through him and it nicked his heart and that was the fatal wound. But he was still alive and able to move for a few minutes and he crawled to the back door, uh, the, the side carport door. Uh, and there's actually still a blood stain on the concrete. When you get the whole story about what he did with his life, it's remarkable. He's he's a hundred and ten percent an American hero, and um, uh, you know fought the good fight, and uh, you know it's it's sad and tragic because of how it ended and, and the things that happened. Uh, but still, I I found that to to stand where somebody where the, where this kind of thing happened, it it, it hits you, it hits you in a different kind of way. Um, and that's one of the remarkable things that I love to highlight about the parks. They're, they're remarkable human stories. They often blend heroism and tragedy. And then you have other places in the park system that have this just a mesmerizing mix of heroism, tragedy, and natural beauty. They all come together in the same spot, and they're part of the same story. Um, and sometimes... A person's experience can create that type of mix. I mean, like my my uh, example I mentioned with uh, um, my friend Matthew, the the seasonal ranger at the Badlands, who is in the, the Lakota Oglala tribe. I mean, he he made that a, a a very personal experience. We also bonded about our shared love for my own hometown park, Channel Islands National Park. I I find the geography of Channel Islands remarkable how that is actually a part of the continental shelf that extends out into the ocean. If you go to the high point in Santa Monica National Recreation Area, and uh, it's at the Circle X Ranch, which was an old Boy Scout camp, you climb up to, uh, uh, is that Don? Uh, what, what is it? I'm trying to think of the name of the peak, and it's escaping me, but um, it's about 3,100 feet in elevation, if I remember right, um, like Mount Out. Allen or something, but that's not the name of the peak. Sandstone Peak. Sandstone Peak. That's the high point of Santa Monica National Recreation Area. You look straight out and you see the Channel Islands. But what makes that interesting is if you know the geography, you're looking straight west, you're looking right across the continental shelf. You're standing on the same ridge or uplift that created the Channel Islands. So when, when the sea level was lower during the Ice Age, and about a hundred feet lower, if I if I remember right, uh, that whole uh, the Santa Barbara Channel was um, above water. That was exposed, so it was only it was only uh, that that wasn't something that happened because of all the rifting and the and the earthquakes. But that that was actually a continuous landmass. So that's remarkable. When we were crossing on my first trip to the Channel Islands during the centennial year, 
we were crossing back to Ventura. So I did that day trip you're talking about uh, where you land in um, this, this Scorpion Ranch or something like that. And then you, you can walk across to like, there's a smuggler's cove. And um, I, I used to, I used to have all these spots memorized, including elevations, distances, and everything in my head. And there's so much stuff in my head anymore that, uh, and I haven't been doing presentations as of the last seven months about the park. So uh, it, 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 it takes a minute for that computer disk to whir in my head and, and for me to find the right file. But uh, what a remarkable uh, experience that is, how beautiful. On the way back, our tour boat, uh, went right through a megapod of dolphins. And, and, and I'd never seen, I'd seen pods of dolphins. So I'd seen, seen a regular pod. And I knew that sometimes they combined joint forces. I had no idea that there's a megapod and a super megapod. And so like a super megapod, they have spotted as many as estimated 10,000 dolphins moving together. And they do it to hunt their prey fish, which are predominantly sardines and herring. In case you run into that on Trivial Pursuit or whatever, you can say, hey, I heard that from Dave. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, you can find out more about supporting Black Kids Adventures on our episode page. We would love your feedback. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. Or message us on our social media accounts. We are Expedition National Parks on Facebook and Instagram and Expedition NPS on Twitter. Thanks to Jason Shaw for the music. And as always, follow the inspiration of the Junior Ranger motto. Keep exploring, learning, and protecting.